Gary. Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Survival Guide. It's great to have you with us. Martin, it's my first time, so I'm looking forward to it. Before we learn a little bit more about you, Gary, tell us a little bit about some top tips that you might have for business owners and entrepreneurs from the experience you bring to the party. I think, first of all, Martin, there is, there is no silver bullet, as we know. It's about working um, extremely hard in your business as well as on your business and actually making sure that um, you, you're looking so to grow your business and you're looking at it from a, from a, 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 a very structured way. Um, and it's difficult to grow a business without doing certain things, I've found. Uh, and, and those are um, investing in resources. Now, resources could be people, it could be physical assets, it certainly could be technology, and it certainly would be sales and marketing. Um, and obviously, all that takes a fifth resource, which is finance. So ultimately, if you start by looking at your resources currently in your business, under each of those headings, and then try and work out what you need to invest in to actually grow your business from those five areas of resources, that sort of demystifies it a bit. I've not come across many businesses that can actually grow without investing in, their, in, in those sort of resources. So it does take a bit of planning. It does take a bit of usually finance. You know, that could be cash reserves. It could be borrowed money. It could be investment. But unfortunately, it does take a bit of finance. A lot of people say, well, that can grow up and scale up. And, uh, you know, yes, you can use your existing assets and your existing resources to a level. Ultimately, you'll reach a point where you do need to invest. Right. Okay. So you can get up to a certain level in business. And then if you want to go above and beyond and scale up, there needs to be some kind of investment there. Usually financial is what we're saying. It's usually financial, but that will leverage those other resources, whether it's in sales and marketing, physical assets, technology, or people. And, you know, the usual growth curve is, a business um, kicks off, it starts off, it, it sees some growth, it might accelerate, but it will hit a wall. And it's a question of whether you've got a plan and whether you've got you know, the, the um, determination and the risk-taking attitude to get over that wall and then move on to the next level. A lot of businesses I see are stuck getting over that wall and they turn over plateaus because the, the owners or the directors um, are not, prepared to take risks investing in their business in those areas I've talked about to actually scale their business um, further and at an accelerated rate. Okay, so there's a bit about um, getting to an accelerated rate and like I say, being willing to take a bit of a risk as well and not being too yeah, risk entrepreneurship is all Entrepreneurship is all about taking risk, isn't it? At the end of the day, we are, um, you know, we want people to take risks but balance risks and thought through risks. Um, not harebrained risks and <laughs> I suppose part of a business coach's job or a non-executive director in which I am in a lot of businesses is there to challenge the owners and directors to say look listen are you making the right decisions are you taking the right risks are you taking them too slowly or indeed too quickly uh, and therefore you know are you moving your business on to the next level okay fab so it's not just about going and putting all my chips on red and hoping for the best there's a little bit more to it than no, that. No, that's called gambling. And, <laughs> or hope. I'm, I, I quite often deliver some seminars called Hope is Not a Growth Strategy. <laughs> right. Because, uh, again, I, I quite often see a lot of businesses, owners, that hope their business will continue to grow if they are seeing some growth. 
growth, but actually they haven't got a plan on that hope and it really is um, a gamble. Okay. Yeah. So there's a big difference between two. So that's really fascinating stuff, Gary. So tell us a little bit about how did you get to the point where you are today? What's the backstory for you to have such amazing knowledge to um, enable entrepreneurs to grow? I think you've been very kind to me because I, I wouldn't <laughs> profess to have amazing knowledge, but I suppose uh, at my advanced years, I've, I've learned a few things along the way, picked up a few scars and um, you know, from both from uh, from my career in banking, uh, which I would like to think I was what is called an entrepreneurial banker. Uh, so you know, I looked to uh, I looked to, to work alongside my customers in a proactive way. Uh, I think sometimes I think now looking back at those days, potentially uh, long gone in terms of uh, the current set of bankers we're working with. But I was an entrepreneurial banker. I was um, 22 years with Barclays. Um, and then that was uh, straight out of uh, straight into their management development program after A levels, and and uh, 22 years ended up as regional director in um, business banking in the northeastern Cumbria, and then got head hunted into National Australia Bank, which owned Clydesdale and Yorkshire Bank at that time. And actually, I ran the Yorkshire Bank business bank across the UK between 2000 and 2006, and then um, I ran the retail bank and small business between 2006 and 2011. So I suppose what I was, was a, I was a, a relationship banker turned um, executive banker, if you like. Uh, as, as you know, you move further up the food chain, you get further <laughs> away from the customer. But ultimately, I still, uh, uh, you know, I still love dealing with customers. And along that journey, my wife and I uh, bought our first business in 2009. Wow. And in 2012, we were about to launch two new businesses. And she said to, to, to me, because I, I was away from home quite a bit on, on worldwide travels with National Australia Bank and um, running Yorkshire Bank then. And um, I said, uh, look, you know, I've 37 years in banking. I think that's long enough. I think I've, I've got enough wounds and been through the global financial crisis. Um, and I was lucky to pick, pick up an MBA along the way in 2009 from the Queen in terms of recognition for my services to financial services. Um, and I think I've done my, I'd done my stint, shall we say. So I, um, I left banking in 2012, uh, intended to work in the businesses that we were starting that year, which was uh, a property company, a mixed-use property company, uh, uh, and we'd bought a commercial payment and debt rating business in 2009, which was growing quite quickly. And we were launching a couple of retail outlets in that, in that year as well. But um, I was very fortunate that um, when people heard I was leaving the bank, that um, they, they rang my, my phone and said, oh, we're here leaving, would you like to come and work for us? I said, well, I'm not looking to get back in full-time employment. I'd, I'd rather have a portfolio of businesses I advise. And that's how Focus on Success started back in 2012. And here we are nearly eight years later. Um, I now work with 24 businesses across the UK, um, 16 in the Northeast, five in Yorkshire, uh, or six in Yorkshire and two in London. Um, and a number of others that are in the pipeline where I advise them on how to grow their business um, in, a, in a measured way, but in an accelerated way. Uh, and I give that independent external viewpoint, um, hopefully bringing some skills and knowledge to the party as well to help them succeed in business. And the challenge for me is making sure that they exceed more quickly or to a higher level with my support than without my support. Otherwise, it's pointless me being there. Right. Okay. So, twenty-four 
different clients you work with and from three of your own businesses as well. And yes. that's, that all started to be set up just after the financial crash from what you were saying there. It did. And I was very fortunate that when I, the, the, you know, 2008, 2007, 2008, 2011, when the global financial crisis was on, and I was actually running the retail bank and small business bank for Yorkshire Bank. And actually we had a very, very um, solid time through that, uh, through that crisis. And we had, we had a good mortgage book, a healthy deposit book. Um, yes, we got into slight problems like most banks did with personal loans and personal protection insurance. But mm. other than that, the FCA were, were pretty happy with our performance, hence my MBA. And, and, and ultimately, um, I, you know, I was proud of the way, if you like, the bank managed itself during that period of time. But it was, you know, it, I'd done a lot of work uh, in, outside of the bank during the latter years in my career. You know, I was uh, doing a lot of voluntary work. So I was uh, president of the Chamber of Commerce. I was on the local enterprise partnership board. I was chairman of the venture capitalist funds. I, I was, you know, doing a lot of, you know, non-executive director of business link. Um, so I was doing a lot of things, which I did because A, it helped the bank, but B, it helped me, my personal brand. And I think it also helped me you know, fill my combat book up. So when uh, I announced I was leaving, as I said, um, a lot of people knew me, a lot of people knew my capabilities, and hopefully I built a reputation of over 37 years. And I was very, very fortunate that my first sort of six clients in that first three or four months were really reactive clients. They were ringing me rather than me ringing them. And ultimately, I think five of those six are still clients of me today, seven and a half years later. So That's I, amazing. I, must be doing, I must be doing something right. As <laughs> that must uh, achieve a, a marvellous lifetime value for a client within that. But, uh, as I said, it, the, the litmus test is, is you know, that obviously I come at a cost. I think it's a reasonable cost to my clients. <laughs> I only deal with SMEs. So that's, that's my passion, SMEs, small, medium enterprises. Uh, my clients range, range from startups to 50 million, well, 45 million turnover is my largest client. Um, and, and everything in between. I'm sector agnostic, so I've got everything from domiciliary care to IT to manufacturing, fabrications, professional services. You name it, I've got pretty much uh, a client in most sectors. I don't, I don't duplicate sectors because I think that would be a conflict of interest. Um, but I do think principles of good business are transferable across sectors. So when people look at diversification of their businesses, they don't necessarily need to keep with the same sectors they're in. Because if they've got good skill sets, that's transferable. That's really interesting because I think um, that you mentioned about diversification working across different sectors because there's an awful lot at the present moment on social media channels. Um, a lot of the gurus um, talk about niching and you have to find a niche and, and operate in blue oceans as opposed to red oceans where everybody's um, yes. fighting over. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on that. Well, I think finding a niche is very difficult. And again, when, I, when I'm delivering uh, um, seminars on, on, you know, hope is, hope is not a growth strategy, I do ask the audience this very question. You know, how many of them think they have a unique or a, a niche business? And, and quite often, not many of them put their hands up. Um, um, that may be because they're nervous or <laughs> because they're, 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 they don't think they've got a niche or a unique business. But those who do put their hands up, when quizzed, uh, when you know when, when challenged by myself, in reality they haven't got a unique business. They've got a variation of 
a service or a product that is already out there. In fact, a funny story, one lady put their hand up and I said, well, what's your business? I didn't know her. What's your business? She said, oh, I make sausages. And I said, well, how's that unique or niche? She said, oh, nobody makes sausages like me. But ultimately, and that's sometimes people's mindsets, but you know, she's got to get it. She's got to understand that she's competing not only against every other sausage maker out there, even though they may not make them exactly the same way, but she's also um, competing against other food produ producers who produce other meat products, whether it be bacon or whatever, or corn. So ultimately, you've got to accept sometimes that you haven't got a niche or um, unique product. You are competing against competitors, and you've got to deliver a value proposition which clearly differentiates you on a number of, a number of levels, whether it's price, whether it's quality of service, whether it's speed of service, whether it's geography, whether it's um, you know, the way you deliver through different channels, that differentiates you from your competition. Because even if you are unique and you, you know, you, 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 you've produced or you've manufactured or you, you've delivered a service which nobody else is doing, somebody's gonna copy you very quickly. Yeah. Because that's the way the world is. You know, there's plenty, the world is littered with examples of, of people who bought great products out, but then didn't keep, you know, were quickly overtaken by the Apples or the, uh, or, or, or the Microsofts of this world because they, they didn't keep innovating. And that's another big tip I, I try and say to all my clients. You know, spend time innovating in your business because too many business owners uh, fill their diaries up with, firefighting and operational issues and dealing with HR and, you know, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and looking at, looking at, um, you know, uh, quite rightly looking at client issues, but not enough time, um, as you call it, blue, blue sky thinking, um, or blue ocean thinking in terms of how to innovate in their business. And I, I recommend every business owner, you know, crosses half a day out the diary and, takes no phone calls and sits in a room and thinks about how to work on my business, how to develop my products and services and take them on to the next level or diversify them. Because if you're not doing that sooner or later, you're going to come to a standstill. Yeah, absolutely. So diversification is one of the keys to business success in a, in a modern marketplace, as opposed to focusing on trying to find something extremely unique, um, a unique niche that probably doesn't even exist anyway, because like you say, how you qualify competitors can be very interesting. Naturally, that lady might have just, um, for other sausage makers are my competitors, but actually if I'm hungry and I want something for tea, any food any food provider is a competitor, right? So it how is. do you take that and into I think, level? And I think what I would also say is, listen, I'm not an expert, and, and I, I generally defer to people who run much larger businesses to me and, and even startups. I know how difficult it is to get startups off the ground and, and make them successful. We know, we all know how many fail, you know, in the first, you know, two to three years. Uh, but generally, you know, I would really um, say that innovation, uh, diversification, working on your business and, and taking that time out from the day-to-day -day activities is really time well spent. A lot of business owners feel uncomfortable about it. They feel uncomfortable about taking half a day out the diary and crossing it out and not taking appointments and not making phone calls because they think they are not working. Well, actually they are working. Um, you know, they're taking time to work on their business rather than in their business. It's, a, it's a, an old saying, but it's still relevant, I think, today. Yeah, I don't think old cliches like that are any less valuable today than they were when they first came out. Uh, and I think we should um, 
rather than trying to keep inventing new phrases and catchphrases and such like things like that are absolutely perfect to uh, continue developing our businesses working on it and in it is perfect and also and also martin develop yourself because i'm a big believer in continuous professional development of any uh, you know at any stage in your life and you know, certainly me at the, the right old age of 60 is, or 61 rather, um, is, is still, I'm still, you know, determined to, to learn something hopefully every day, whether that's through reading the media, whether it's reading, reading business books, whether it's listening to videos or webinars like this, or whether it's actually just talking to business owners and, and, and learning about how they're running their businesses and, you know, picking up best practices and then sharing that across my client base. The beauty of having you know, 24 clients and people say, well, how, how do you manage that many? And, that, <laughs> and actually the more you have, the seemingly easier it becomes because you're picking grips, best practices of each of them. You're, you're sharing, sharing success stories. You're putting clients together, um, you know, for either supplier or vendor relationships. And actually um, I was, I was doing a seminar the other day with quite a few of my clients in the room. And one of them said, Oh, you know, we love being in team Gary. And, and I, didn't, I didn't say that. She said that. And, and ultimately, I do feel like that. I do feel it's a bit of a team of businesses that uh, are in my team. And, you know, I want to make sure every single one of them succeeds. And, and they all know each other. They all talk to each other. And um, some more than others. And some are clients. And some are, sorry, some are um, clients of each other. Uh, and really, but my job is really to make sure that they all benefit from how well each of them are doing. And where, where possible, share innovation, share ideas, share best practices, and, and share success stories because, you know, sometimes we forget to do that as well. Yeah, I think it's, um, I don't know whether it's a British thing or not, but boasting about your successes, well, I just use the word boast, for example, as opposed to just sharing successes without trying to show off how big you are or such, but just to inspire yeah, and motivate other people. There's a, there's a different intention behind sharing that success. So I think what there is, people uh, normally think of. I was doing a board meeting this morning, actually, to a client in London. I was doing it by Skype. So ultimately, we had a Skype board meeting. And, and one of the things, uh, it's, it was their financial year end in September. We were looking at the management accounts to September year end. And I was saying to them, look, you know, you've had a good year. You know, uh, profitability is up. Um, margins are up. Um, you know, you've got some new customers. You've got some new products. So it's really well. Uh, I mean, here we are half, well, two-thirds of the way through October. Have you taken time? To share the success with your workforce and actually communicate with them and pat them on the back and you know maybe take them out for a beer or or, or, or buy them something just to say well done for last year rather than just hurtling on into the new year and then forgetting all about the good stuff that's gone last year yeah so recognizing the positives because i bet um if it was the opposite way around the workforce would know about it very swiftly very swiftly and, and we all know these days that i mean i would generally say that the biggest issue facing um all my businesses generally would be uh people you know uh, and that is um retention of good people uh, it's recruitment of good people it, it's engagement of the workforce getting um employees engaged and we all know an engaged workforce is far more productive than an unengaged workforce uh, and, and recognizing them and, and thinking about reward and recognition. So those areas are absolutely critical because we have got pretty much full employment in this country. And therefore, when you're trying to recruit, you're either recruiting from a pretty small pool. You know, you're either recruiting from colleges or, or universities, or you're recruiting from somebody who's employed by somebody else. 
uh, and you've got to have a pretty good proposition as a, an employee proposition to to um, to be able to recruit that top talent because what you've got to do is try and lift your benchmark all the time lift your people benchmark it's no good recruiting um, because you're desperate to recruit and you're just going to make do that's not the solution and that often ends in um, in pain and tragedy um, you know you're far better willing to continue to search for the right person it's going to lift your people benchmark and make people strive you know and make people strive to attain more than recruiting somebody who will just make do. But trying to retain, retain people, recruit people, reward people, engage people is a real challenge for people at the moment across lots of industries. Um, but particularly I would say construction or particularly IT um, because you know there's just a, such a shortage of skills out there. Yeah and it's interesting you mentioned reward and recognition. It's something I see in some of the clients I work with that um, actually that reward and recognition seems to have been switched off a little bit while they're focusing on trying to drive up sales and, and retain clients, etc. forgetting about the people in the business. Well, listen, you know, I was the most valuable asset in any business. I don't care what it is, whether it's a technology business or not, it is actually the people because you need people to, uh, you know, people generally to run your business and you need good people. It's, you know, you don't need average people, you need good people. But, you know, you, you have to also realise that, generally speaking, um, if people are brilliant, that doesn't matter because you need good people to be the backbone of your business. And I remember when I was, when I was in the bank, you know, I had quite a few thousand people work for me and, you know, the majority of those were just very happy doing their day-to-day -day jobs and doing a good job and, and they were the backbone of, of, of banking or, uh, and there was 10% of 15% of the top who wanted career progression, who wanted to, um, to, to move on and, and, you know, make better themselves. And, and you've got to, you know, obviously try and find opportunities for them. And then there was some that underperformed and you have to accept the fact that either you have to coach them and improve them, which was ideally what you wanted to do. But ultimately, if you weren't able to do that, you had to let them go. Yeah. Uh, and so reward and recognition, particularly of, um, of top talent, but also of the backbone of your business. Don't forget the average performer who's doing a great job um, and actually doesn't want promotion, and that's great because probably you can't find promotion for everybody. Nobody can. <laughs> and therefore, just don't forget that, that backbone of your business in terms of your employees who are doing a great job. Remember to reward and recognize them as well as the top performers. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, recruiting people and particularly salespeople. You mentioned sales, and uh, you know, I've got a few clients who've been trying to recruit business development managers in, in different sectors at the moment. And I've been doing some of the interviews or some of the second interviews, and naturally, again, it's part of the service I offer. And it's been interesting about the quality of people that have been coming through, um, but in, in all cases, they've been working for somebody else. Okay. So you've got, to, you've got to have a strong proposition to actually make them come on board, because they might be looking around, but that doesn't mean to say they want to leave where, yeah. where they are. They may well be just testing the water, they may be wanting to go back to their employ existing employer and you know, use that as a bit of a leverage to get a, a better deal from them. So you've got to be very clear about what your value proposition is to your employees and why, um, why talent should come and work for you. Hopefully it's because you're a great business, you've got a great reward and recognition strategy, you engage your workforce, you communicate with them. That's the big thing. You know, you've got to communicate with them on a regular basis. Tell them what's happening. Mm. Tell them the good things. You know, also don't hide the bad things as well. So ultimately, communication is a big thing. The bigger the business, the more difficult it becomes. We know that, you know, multiple locations, multiple hierarchies, it, it, you know, multiple countries even. 
it makes it more challenging, but you've still got to work at it. It's more harder, you've got to work at it harder, but you can't ignore it. And where communication lacks, where there's a void, people will fill that void with miscommunication. Yes. So you've got to do it. You've got to, you've got to keep working at it. You either control the conversation or just let the whispers happen in um, what would be old language, the fag shed. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, the bag sheds or the bag shed or whatever. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, and the great thing about technology, of course, is that we've got many ways to communicate these days. You know, we've got you know, we've got Mailchimp, we've got newsletters, we've got Skype. You know, we've got uh, intranets. So we've got our websites. There's, there's lots of ways to communicate. But you know, I always say you can't beat a, a, a thank you note to somebody or a postcard to somebody who's doing a good job. You know, just a, a, a note from the line manager for or from the MD saying, you know, I really appreciate what you've done this week or this year, you know, thank you very much. It goes a long way. Yeah, I think it's interesting you mentioned the thank you notes, etc. because that value proposition for reward and recognition for staff or getting staff to come over to you isn't necessarily about just giving a big massive salary to them. The problem with increasing salaries is that, um, you know, you get, you get salary creep. Um, because, you know, if you think salaries are, a, are, the, are the best kept secret in any organization, you're wrong. Um, because people tend to talk, unfortunately, even if you ask them not to. So ultimately, you give a salary increase to somebody and somebody else gets to hear about it. And they, then they want one. And, and, and so salary is important. And I'm not trying to underplay it. And you have to have a, a strategy around salary increases if that's linked to inflation or performance or bonuses or whatever. But ultimately... Um, it's more than salary. It's about the, the whole employee benefits package. You know, that could be, um, you know, it could be uh, right to work schemes. It could be salary sacrifice schemes. It could be, you know, uh, buying your employees lunch on a Friday. Um, so flexible working is a big, you know, a big, yeah. you know, opportunity for firms at the moment. A lot, of, so a lot of my clients or some of my clients have, you know, have a home-based working policy. I know a lot of businesses are nervous about that because how do you manage and how do you make sure they're working rather than having uh, uh, copious cups of tea? Well, yeah, um, you've got to work at it, but it does work if you if you and if you manage it properly, it can be really beneficial to retention and recruitment. That's awesome. So I've, there's so much there that you've just been through in like a 25, 20, 25 minute period. I think we've just been through. I think if people it's listen to this, this podcast like two or three times, they'll still pick up little top tip every time. I think from the beginning where you talked about continuing to make sure you have half a day scheduled once a month in your business to work on your business, which we can't repeat that message too much. Um, I'm sure most people have heard it at least once, but whether they put it into action might be a very different thing. And then you talked about not necessarily niching, but actually diversification and innovation and also about the treating your staff the right way and rewarding them in the right way as well. Is that a good summary? It is a good summary, and, and ultimately, um, it is about um, you know growing your growing your business. It is about additional sales and, and, and revenue. And uh, but last, the last thing I would say is that when you are striving to attract new clients, as most businesses do, don't forget your existing clients. I see so many businesses when I go in and look at their client list or their debtor list, and I see clients, um, you know, a long list of, you know, of, of clients who uh, have stopped buying or, or reduced their levels of buying, 
And when I asked, well, why are these clients no longer buying in the levels that they used to, or why have they stopped buying? Quite often, owners don't know. Um, they're so focused on the new clients and getting new clients that they've actually forgot to ask why their existing clients have actually moved away from them and moved to a competitor or, or stopped buying from them for whatever reason. So look after what you've got, first and foremost. Have a, you know, have a custom retention and, and contact strategy. Um, make sure you don't lose, make sure there's not a hole in your sales book because it's no good filling it if it's coming out the bottom. Um, and, and then, but also, you know, I'm not undermining the importance of, of marketing and sales in that order. You've got to market first before you get the leads to then convert to sales. But ultimately, it's no point spending copious amounts of time and money and effort on sales and marketing if you're not looking after what you've got already first and foremost. Yeah, keep be grateful for what you've got and look after what you've got, definitely. And make sure that they've got the whole range of your services because your clients will evolve themselves and their needs will evolve. And if they don't know your full range of services because you're not talking to them and they might, you might have launched a new service they know nothing about, well, how can they expect to buy from you when they don't know your full range? So make sure you communicate with them keeping them up to date with what you're doing in your business, but also finding out what they're doing in their business so you can match their needs with your products and services. Perfect. So matching your product to help them as opposed to generating from your business first and foremost. Correct. Cool. Thank you ever so much, Gary, for that. Really appreciate it. I think we can all see and hear why you got your MBA. Congratulations on that, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, thank you very much for your time today, Gary. Um, I'd love to have you on again, probably to talk even more. I'm sure there's loads more that we can learn about you. But for now, thank you for joining. We scratched the surface. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much for joining us on Entrepreneur's Survival Guide. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review.